Welcome to another episode of Consider This. My name is Justin, and I am in the studio with Jim and Drew, and we are going to be taking a deep dive at Genesis 1 and 2. Hope you enjoy. Jim, Drew, old earth, young earth, if you had to choose right now. Middle Earth. Yeah. Middle Earth. I love Middle Earth. (laughs) I don't think it's as old as a lot of people think it is, and it's probably not as young as just taking some kind of mathematical formula to the Bible. So I would say it's somewhere in the middle. Okay. That's actually kind of what I'm saying. My Middle Earth joke is kind of that. Like, I feel like a completely uneducated guess is to say, like, something along the lines of, I don't... uh, it seems it seems like doing the simple math is not actually what the Bible is asking yep. us to do. Yep. And so that that math that puts it at six thousand fifty three years. I don't know what the exact yeah. number is, but I don't think that's what the Bible's trying to get us to do. Um, and so I don't think it's quite that. But I don't know if I believe a bajillion. So yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. sticking with Middle Earth. Okay, Middle so Earth. We'll it's my we'll, uneducated. We'll guess. put it down. <laughs> um, so part of what we're trying to do here is take a deep look at Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, Sunday, you were doing our first part of the story where you were supposed to look at Genesis 1 and 2, and you looked at Genesis 1, about four of the verses. And so we're trying to <laughs> we're trying to get into yeah. a few more but, of them. You know, I'll tell you, I think you yep. did a good job, too, because I think it's helpful for Drew for us to be able to see, like, the most important parts. Mm-hmm. So I thought you did a great job of yep. highlighting the key thing, because if we're going to do the whole story of God, we've got to do it with a with a – higher you know we are going kind of, to at a higher things. level than just d- yes, diving in yes, so i'm yes. glad we're doing this we, yeah. yeah we're yep. gonna leave things out you know and yes. which is one of the reasons we're excited to do this to be able to come back and yep. take a deep dive so yep. um one of the questions we have drew is uh you, you said that god doesn't need anything mm-hmm. which is kind of a weird thing to think about probably yeah. a lot of people either haven't thought about that or just yeah. assume yeah. obviously God needs something or he needs us to do something but what do you mean by God doesn't need anything why, why would he create everything if he doesn't need everything yeah that's the this is uh, this is such a big I you, you think about it's a it's kind of a simple question at first, but then you think about it, it's very profound. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. if there is a God, a perfect, all sufficient God, why is there anything else? This is the question. You know what I mean? Like what what is the point of him creating anything? And and so just briefly, the God doesn't need anything is uh, kind of twofold. One is he is completely self sufficient. He's not contingent or dependent on anything. And secondly, like Anything God does need or want is kind of at his, like, he, he can just speak into existence, right? But but we don't believe he actually needs anything, uh, that he is self-sufficient and self-satisfied within himself. Um, so, which which leads to that other question, so then why does God create? And I think the, I'm trying to remember if this was actually told to me or if this is just kind of almost by osmosis I came to believe hmm. that God was lonely is not the word but kind of like god wanted people to talk to bored or, one, or maybe? yeah bored or yeah he wanted people to interact with he wanted uh, even just like he wanted someone to worship him um and those kinds of things and and like i said i don't know if that was said in sunday school god was all alone and so he wanted he didn't want it that way i mean um i don't know but but that's kind of the picture that i think i took on was something there's some sort of lack he's he either wanted people to interact with he, he wanted people to worship him he wanted something um 
and and you know the the more I I've kind of looked and thought through and I've drawn a lot from Michael Reeves he's really helpful on this and uh, he just argues that as 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 a trinity as God being three and one there's not a there's not a loneliness in God he's yeah. existed yep. in perfect yep. community yep. and relationship for all eternity um, and again being God himself and perfect there's no sufficiency there's no lack he argues and I think this is I, I think it makes so much sense he argues that it is because Jesus says in John 17 that God has, the Father has loved the Son since before creation. And then he goes on and he says, and this is what the Father wants and this is what I want, is that you, he says to his disciples, his people, would be drawn into that love that I have mm-hmm. experienced from mm-hmm. the Father from the beginning. Mm-hmm. What Reeves argues is it is just simply in God's nature to flow outwards in love, that that yeah. is what the Father has yeah. been doing towards the Son for all eternity. And so it makes sense. What what God has with the Son, he wants multiplied out and wants to draw more into and wants to, and the Son being the image of God, yeah. the perfect image of God, he wants multiplied out and wants to, wants to, to create more of that. Um, I think it's Jonathan Edwards, and I'll probably, I won't get the quote exactly right, but Jonathan Edwards says, it is no sign of deficiency yeah. in a fountain that it is prone to overflow yeah uh that that's that's what creation is like is there is so yeah. much of the outward flowing love and glory and beauty of god that that it only it, it is only natural and makes sense for him to do continue to do more of that in creating more to be alongside of uh, and then reeves will argue this is where actually uh creation he would say in some sense only fully makes sense with a triune god mm-hmm. uh, that it doesn't make sense for a a solo person, a one person God, as, as opposed to a three persons in one God, a one person to just all of a sudden switch at some point in eternity and go, mm-hmm. I've been completely happy like this. Yes. And now, now I'm just going to switch it for yeah. no, some, some reason I'm going to yeah. switch my nature and decide that I want someone to interact with and flow towards. And so I, I think that there's something really cool about that. You know, it's interesting. I want to get married and I want to have kids in a sense because it's it's something I'm lacking. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think that I like how you describe the fountain. I, I know that quote, and I think that's kind of my paradigm, is that God does not do it to fill something in himself, yeah. but he does it out of an overflow from himself. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's the best way to look at it. In that sense, it's not a, it's not an emptiness, yeah. but it is a fullness yeah. that causes God to act and it, to create. And we do have your your little phrase there, married and kids, like we do have a, a hint of it or a taste of it. You hear, you know, this people kind of talk about this uh, with, you know, when they explain to their kids why we had kids, yeah. right? Yep. Your, your mom, your mommy and I had like so much love in us yep. that we wanted, we wanted to share more of it. We wanted yep. to bring, yep. and, and even though it's imperfect and there's, there's sure. some degree in which we have kids out of a lack in us and what, you know what I mean? So it's imperfect, but I think that's a taste of what is happening with the, with the Trinity bringing the universe into existence is this there is so much love and and is the natural is the natural disposition of god to move to move towards in love Love and so he moves towards in love with creation as well so so you bring up the trinity as Mm -hmm. being you know key to the fact that that shows a little bit of god not needing something but just continue to move in the way he's always moved Mm -hmm. out of love out of his goodness do we see hints of the Trinity in Genesis 1 when, when we have some of those plural phrases mm-hmm. when we have in the beginning God and then the Spirit of God hovering over the water? Do you think <laughs> that those us's and those we's are, are hints of the Trinity or not? Yeah, I, this is really awesome. I'm literally, the text is being read 
on Sunday, and I'm sitting in the pew, and as we get to Genesis 1:26, let us make man in our image, uh, a friend, a guy in, like, in front of me turns around and asks me this question. It says us. Is that referring to, like, I'm literally about to walk up on the stage. He's like, is this referring to the Trinity? I'm like, good question. I got to go. Um, and so, 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 uh, but it is. It's such a, such a good question. You have this, let us make man in our image. And then you do have this, the spirit of God hovering over the waters, yep. all this stuff. Yep. Man, and I have, I have really struggled with this. I, at first, I was like, we should totally talk about this. And the more I've kind of read in the sermon into it. Yeah, well, at first in the sermon. Okay. And then I was like, well, we're not going to have time in the sermon. <laughs> and I was like, we should talk about it on the podcast. And then I'm like, I don't know if I'm able to talk about it in the podcast. <laughs> uh, but so there's essentially three, I think, three okay beliefs on this, three different kind of, you could count as like biblical beliefs on what the us and our is. One is, if I can see if I can get it right, one is that it is like theological, and yes, the answer is that that is the Trinity that is being talked about, that hints of the fact that there is more than one in the Godhead is is being hinted at there. Um, the second is like a, simply almost like a grammatical, like this is simply just a way of talking, almost what people call like the, the royal we or the magisterial we like uh, when a king or queen might use this plural for themselves um, and then the third is that it is is in the cultural context that uh, you see sometimes in the idea of ancient Near East and even in like Hebrew scripture the idea of like the heavenly court um, where God is speaking to the heavenly beings that is primarily angels in those sense and so there's kind of three options there and, and I'd love to hear your take on this, Jim, because there, there are some, you know, John Walton I yeah. referenced several times. You know, Walton is really big on it cannot, the text cannot mean what the author and what, what the original author and original audience would not have had in mind um, is his big thing. That like it can't mean something beyond what they would have thought, um, which we holds to a fair amount. I mean, this is a way we break down revelation. A lot of time is to go, it can't mean Vlad, the beast can't be Vladimir Putin because the, because the original audience wouldn't have had Vladimir Putin in mind. It has to mean something that they would have had a concept or a grasp of. Um, and yeah, I mean, I've got to, to yeah, yeah, yeah. let me, let me hear your thoughts on that. I've well, got some other thoughts. Yeah. On no, it, the but. only, the only thing I would say is that there's a difference between in this prophetic reference to a specific object, it couldn't be something. So how would Vladimir Putin, for the Revelation example, how does Vladimir Putin, Putin um, bring comfort to a first century person being persecuted mm. by Rome? Mm. So that's my question with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. That John is specifically writing, the purpose is, is what matters. Yes. John is specifically writing to give comfort yes. to this first century people, yes. and therefore yes. talking about something that's happening 2,000 years yes. later isn't really helping yes. that. Okay, yeah. But I would say this. I would say there's no way the original audience could have understood that a woman who was a virgin was going to give birth to God who would become incarnate. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's what the original audience knew. Yep. So yep. I think Isaiah could prophesy something, or Micah could prophesy something that the original audience could not have conceived yep. in terms of what it is describing. So I think I, I think I know what Walton is doing. I'd yeah. like to go back and look at what he's trying to say. He's, yeah. he's smarter than I am. But I, I, I actually, with, with believing that there is uh, kind of the author's intended meaning, mm-hmm. and the text usually doesn't mean something, I think that there is, in this text, I, I don't understand how God is creating 
with the angelic beings. That seems like a stretch to me. Yeah. That yeah. God is God, the the angelic beings are helping God create. We're going to make them in our image. Now, I think what that is taught is that God made them in his image and now he is making now Yes, in, that's, that so is that, kind of the so idea. So that's kind this, of the idea. Yeah. I just think the most natural one since the rest of the Bible reveals the Trinity that this is hints to it in the in the in the very beginning. So I think although the original audience may not have understood that. Yeah. I think it's more of descriptive than prescriptive. Yeah. So I don't think the original audience has to understand the description perfectly in mm-hmm. order for it to be a viable option of 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 what the capital A author God yeah. intended. Yeah. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, no, I I I think I'm with you there. I of those three options by the way, I I think that theological and the cultural understanding yep. of the courthood yep. of heaven makes yep. more sense than the yep. other, the grammatical, yep. right? Yep. Um, and so it's it's one of those it's one of those two, and maybe to a degree both, right? Could, like I yeah. really do think that it could be the the cultural understanding is this: God is speaking to a a the courts of heaven to a a council in sure, heaven. Sure. They don't know that that includes actually that that to the fullest extent that is the triune God. Sure. I, I think that there's a chance that you know Walton really is big on, and he's not like nothing in the Old Testament. His big thing is if the New Testament confirms it for yeah, us. Totally. If we see the New Testament go back and go, yeah, that was talking about this, yeah. then we trust it. Yeah. Um, but if we but if we don't see the New Testament affirming yeah. Genesis one was talking about the Trinity, then then we don't jump to that that's where he's at yeah, and i agree um, with that. i i so, i agree the ca- with the yeah, caution yeah um, but but i think I, I can i think i am okay with going i think there may have been some stuff that god is hinting at even if 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 we don't get to see the full picture until later on this progressive revelation in the bible so yeah. so i had a lot of favorite professors at ozark one of them was larry pachauer uh, just always felt like I came into that class and I knew nothing. I was going to say, if you're going to ask me about anything Larry Pachauer said, this could go, could oh. go bad. So, uh. but one of the distinct things I remember from his Old Testament introduction class was the idea that what's happening in Genesis 1 and 2 maybe not what you taught, were taught in Sunday yeah. school. That there's, yeah. so, there's something else going on. Our questions have to do with science. Our, our questions have to do mm-hmm. with chronology, mm-hmm. how God did this. Um, you, you talked Sunday a little bit about how John Walton sets it up, um, the, the difference between structural questions and functional yeah, questions. Yeah. Explain a little bit more about that for our audience, because I think that is such a key to really understand what Moses was trying to say yeah. and why Genesis 1 and 2 are ordered the way they are. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, you know, our big thing is when we talk about structural, what we're asking is how did something uh, come to be? How did something yeah. that did not exist, the structure, the physical matter of that thing come to exist? And when we talk about function, they're asking, like, how did, how did God place everything in yeah. its right spot so that, it, so that it serves his purposes and so that it functions in a way that, that does what he designed for it to do? That's their big question. And so we want to go to the... the the six days of creation and try to mark out of this is a, you know, either a, it literally happened just like this six 24 hour days, or if not 24 hour days, it happened in this order. This is what God is doing is he's placing everything in his order. And, and that does not seem to be the case. And and I said this on Sunday, I'm not trying to sidestep the issue and go, you know what I mean? Uh, it just does not seem to be what they're concerned with. Uh, you know, the question, I think I, I use the illustration of like, um, 
a rug, you know, that, that like with, with, when they think of nothing, they don't think of non-existence. They think of chaos that is not serving any purpose at this point. Which, by the way, when I, when I started thinking about this, I was, I've been listening to the Bible Project. They have a series on ancient cosmologies, and they talk a lot about this. And it really is fascinating. They point out, we don't really, we can't really even picture nothing either. Because when we try to think of nothing yeah. and then something, what we're thinking of is empty space. Yeah. But space, space itself is something, is something right? <laughs> and so we don't even have a, we don't actually, when we try to go, yeah, but we're thinking in terms yeah. of nothing to something. And they're thinking of like stuff already existing and then making it. It's like, yeah, we're all actually, we have no concept yeah. of nothing. An empty um, room is still a room. Yes, it's still a room. <laughs> yeah, empty space is still space. And so... But and so the question is, it's it's kind of like it, it's like going to a rug maker and going, how did you make this rug? Yeah. And he goes, I took this and I we I had this kind of concept of design, and so I weaved these threads together in such and such a way. And you go, no, 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 that's not what I'm asking. I'm asking, uh, did you ship the wool in overnight or did you ship it in uh, ground over three day period? And he's going, what? You know what yeah, I mean? There's, yeah. there's two different ways to yeah, ask this yeah. question of how it was made. And one is to go back at the very, 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 very beginning was, is this come, does this material come from a camel or from a sheep? Yeah. And did you, you know what I mean? Did you grow the camel from birth or did you buy it in a market <laughs> or these things? Or there's the just, how did I take the raw materials that I had yeah. and weave it into something beautiful and something functional, something that works? And the Hebrews are specifically asking this question. And I think if Genesis, if a writer had sat down and written out a structural origins. This is how it came. This is how God caused the atoms to come together and form mm-hmm. this thing. And, and did it evolve or did he make it right away? I really think I, the more I've been reading and studying, I think no one would have read it uh, because I don't think they would have cared. They'd have been like, what, what are you talking about? What does that have to do sure. with life? What does yeah. that have to do yeah. with my purpose and what yeah. I'm doing, yeah. whether atoms came together in this form or evolved or, or like, I, I want to know how God had everything find its place. Yeah. Even, even a lot of, a lot of scholars will read when you read, uh, the first day God made light and he made dark, uh, you know, they're saying they're not thinking light as in photons. They're actually, he's probably talking about time. They made, he made day and he made night, night. Yep. and he put, he took darkness and then he spoke pushed it to his side and said, now you have your place. And then he has light and now you have your place. He's creating order. He's creating uh, uh, a means in which a universe can function in that place. So, Which makes sense because when you look at days one, two, and three, days four, five, and six parallel them. Day yes. one is filled by day four. Day yes. two is filled by ba- day five. So it's like these structures that are then filled and given, given purpose. Yes. And, uh, given life and, and it makes a lot more sense when you see the days of creation folding on themselves like this rather than this sequential yes. chronological how did it come together like you're let saying let me create let me create a, a place for it and then let me fill it yes and I'll create another place for it and fill it and yeah and I, yeah I'm sitting there listening to you preach last week and I'm getting ready for the next yeah the next segment I'm preaching three through nine and I just couldn't help but think about the ordering right and I've done enough in the Hebrew in that text to to you're right on this is this ordering, right, for a purpose. This is a limiting, you know, I've said to the day, I've said to the night. And then the literally from what you're going to see in three through nine, the relational chaos. Mm-hmm. So you have yes. like the physical design and the physical ordering for his intended purpose. And then what sin does is it creates a, a, a chaos mm-hmm. within the physical and then within the relational and yes. all of those things. So there's, there's a lot of patterns that are going to be in these first 
11 chapters. Yes, yes, absolutely. So we talked a little bit on Sunday about what it means to be made in the image of God. Um, and there's these three key aspects of what it means to be made in the image of God. Could you tell us a little bit of what are those th- three yeah. things? Remind us of those and kind of why you get to those three. Yes. I felt bad because in the in the <laughs> second ser- first service, I went long and we had so much stuff going on on Sunday. Steve got up and the band got up and they played one song and I'm ready for the next one. And then they just walk off and I'm like, oh my gosh, I went really long if we only had time for one no, song. No, but we so had baptisms. We, did have we had an offering that yes. went awesome. Yes. So I mean, we had and, a lot of good things. And so in the second service, I cut some things. And, and one, in second service, I just, made this, I just made this kind of statement. I believe that the image of God God boils down to this idea, these kind of three words, uh, that we are meant to uh, to represent or reflect God and his character and his nature. Um, not nature as in divine nature, but his, his yep. goodness, yep. his love, his mercy, his justice. Um, and then that we are made to rule on his behalf, which you can see uh, clearly in the text, have dominion over the, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. And, and then... And then that we are designed to relate to him, to live in relationship with him, just as God is a relational being within himself, triune that we are too. Uh, in the first service, I got to explain a little bit where I get those ideas, but um, one is just tracing what does what did image mean in that world yeah. and in that day, right? Yeah. And primarily, the word, the Hebrew word "telem" is is primarily used uh, of idols yeah. uh, in the he, in the Hebrew scriptures. When you read, you most of the time, image comes up. It's it's the King James, a graven image. Thou shalt not make for yourself a graven image, uh, an idol. Uh, and idols were meant to be uh, physical representations of God and his presence, of a God and his presence. Yeah. And they, they were not the God themselves. They, they represented him, and there was seen to be some bit of the divine essence in them. We don't even know if they thought that it, this is really what Baal looks like. Yeah. It's just a representation of Baal. And, and then we see... Uh, we see the idea that kings would set up monuments to themselves, images of themselves in territories where they were wanting to establish mm-hmm. their authority. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is what your king looks like. And it even seems to be a little bit of what Nebuchadnezzar is doing in Daniel when he sets up an image of himself yep. and the people come and worship it. It always says statue, but it's actually from the word for image. It's that yeah, same, same thing. Word. Um, and then lastly, the idea, this is Genesis 5.1. Uh, Adam was made in the likeness of God, and then two verses later, Genesis 5, 3, and Seth was in the likeness of Adam. And so that idea that this implies like as a, as a child to a father, uh, in the same way that there's a relationship, but also that a child bears the potential to become and look like their dad, look like their father, and to grow up in that uh, as they get older and older, to look more and more like them in physical appearance, in nature, all that stuff. And that's where I grab those three ideas from. So, so those three, the, the ruling, representing, and relating. Mm-hmm. So you see any kind of like ruling, kingly, you know, governor kind of thing. We've got a priestly order yeah. as then the representing. And then the prophets of Yahweh were, they had a unique relationship that the rest of the people didn't seem to have. Mm-hmm. You almost see, again, yes. which makes sense. We talk about Jesus being prophet, yes. priest, and king. Yes. We're supposed to be 
image bearers of yeah. God, just yeah. like, yes. like as you know. Yes, I, I kings that, rule, priests represent, uh, prophets relate and speak to yeah. on, on behalf, and right. all those things. Right. Yeah, that's true. That makes so much sense. So that's where I almost landed in. I landed in John, but I John one yep. because it has the in the beginning language. But I almost landed in Colossians one, which is the Son yep. is the image of the invisible yep. God, because it's it's such a that's the image that we were supposed to to be um, aiming towards, and that's the true image right. right there. So well, it's also why God says, "Don't make for yourself a carved image, you know, an icon, an idol," because we are the walking yeah. representation yeah. of Him. It's yep. actually He's already done that. Yes. We're, we're that, yes. so it's inappropriate. And we, yes, and then say, we don't worship us. Mm-hmm. We're, not the cent- yeah. we're not the center, right? Yeah. We don't worship us, and we don't worship any other images. Uh, you know what I mean? We, so. That's what good. do you think, what do you guys think, this is just a little bit of a curveball, uh, what do you think is lost in the image? Because we're going to talk about this next week, but maybe, maybe we'll save this for next week, but I hope we can get it on the podcast. But think through what is lost in the image of God in sin and brokenness oh, and, and what, brokenness. what yeah. is not. I'd, I'd love to talk about that yeah. next week. We'll this definitely, is, we'll yeah. definitely hit that next week. Yeah, well, I'm not going to answer fully, but I think it is fascinating just to even think through how much of the image is, uh, I don't know what I want to say, irrevocable or inherent, right? Mm-hmm. Like how much, mm-hmm. in what sense is like everyone, no matter how ever. Hitler is in the image of God and how much of the image is something that we can at least distort like I, you know, I, th- I think of a mirror with a rock thrown up against it and it's like, you can still like see your reflection in it, but it's all distorted and out yeah. of whack. You know what I mean? But I think that that's kind of a fun question to try and think through. Well, but again, if the angelic world is somehow in his image, right? Going back to what yeah. Walton is arguing, then that would actually even be true of the adversary. Satan, yeah. Yeah. Right. It's true. So you literally have like similar ideas, but now it's misrepresent. Right, yes, it's yes. mis misrelate. It's true. It's so true. it's it's literally it's the distortion of those three things. So it's the distortion of the king. It's which is the misuse of the power. Yes. It's the distortion of the of the represent. It's the distortion of the of the of the of the relationship. And so I think that's what's that's what's lost. Yeah, which is makes, that it's not it's not the opposite. It's that twisted. The, yeah, right? the deterioration. Yes. Of the so instead of it, if we use the chaos, so the instead of it being of. actually focused on the creator, it becomes self-focused yeah. or it becomes creator focused, creation focused. Yeah. Right. Which is kind of the major Think of Romans one. What happens? It's the, the distortion is not a flip. It's actually just a redirection. Yeah. So instead of focusing on creator, we focus on created. Mm-hmm. And that's what sin does. Mm-hmm. Sin literally f- takes the focus off God and puts it onto something other than God, mm-hmm. ourselves and creation. And when that happens, and this is what I love about the bigness of God and the, and the not neediness of God, is that whenever we do that, there is only misrepresentation, abuse, manipulation, because it's because it's inherently mm-hmm. like it's just not right. Yep. Yep. Anthony Heckham has a lot on that distortion, and actually, he uses words like function and order to help us understand yeah. what is lost. Yeah. And what's yeah. yeah. Um, last question I've got for you guys, and this could take a while, uh, maybe not. Uh, what does Genesis one and two teach us about things like marriage, things like mm-hmm. gender, things like the differences between mm-hmm. men and women? Mm-hmm things like sexuality what, yeah. what does genesis 1 and 2 because i i mean i think a lot ties back to these texts yes. that the rest of the bible draws back to so what are those things yeah there's a 
you know, I, I knew as I it didn't take long in writing this message to realize how much stuff I was not going to get to. Uh, and this is one of yep. the first things that I realized I'm not going to get to and I'm bummed about because I think it's significant. Not just is it significant in our for our culture and our time today, but just the fact that almost every time the Bible references marriage, almost every time it throws back to Genesis 2. And it, it jumps back and grabs and, and almost, I mean, yeah. oftentimes not just allude, like just quotes. straight up quotes it. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife. and They will become one. Like Jesus does that. Paul does that. Malachi does that. It's like every, every time, every time marriage, if, if there's teaching on it, when it comes up, it almost always gets referenced. And so it's a really big deal. I think one of the first thing that's just kind of significant from the text we read uh, from 26 and 27, Genesis 1, 26 and 27 is that let us make man in our image and therefore he made him male and female he created them and so that idea that female gets thrown in there i i think really is significant in a day when when this was written when women were you know a step above maybe not even a step above property in 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 a lot of the culture and stuff for for this text to come into this culture and announce that women are equally in the image of god just as men are i I think is radical and significant uh, a huge deal and so uh, that in and of itself is really important and then you get into genesis 2 and that's that's where you get into the idea of marriage and, and what it is. It is not good for man to be alone. And so uh, the text says that, you know, no suitable helper, different translations translate a different way, but the, the one that's always in my mind is suitable helper yep. uh, could be found for Adam. And so God made a woman. And those, those two words, the idea helper, uh, you hear this sometimes, it's just important to note that helper, that word is primarily used of God in the old testament so it's not a word of like um it's not lowering someone or putting them down to call them that god is the the greatest helper in the old testament and then the idea of suitable is this this idea of that i don't even know how to you know i've got no hebrew training but but in everything i read is it's this like opposite same opposing same it's the the best way to describe it is like a left shoe right shoe it's like it's the opposite of what it is and yet it's it's supposed to go with it you know what i mean and and like by design by design it is supposed yes and so that becomes a fundamental part of creation that it is not just a a creation of men um, but that there is a another gender that accurately represent kind of more fully encapsulates the image of God that we have not just one gender to do that but we have two genders because uh, God is bigger than anyone than just that the one gender can can put together and then and then that that becomes fundamental to marriage I think it's fascinating in Matthew 19 I, I don't know why I never I knew that Jesus referenced back to it um, I just think it's really fascinating that when they ask Jesus about marriage and whether divorce is okay and all these things, first thing he says is, haven't you read that in the beginning he created them male and female? And so he starts with this idea. If we're going to yeah. talk marriage, let's go back to what it is. Marriage is fundamentally about two opposite opposite sames. and alike. Yeah, yeah, opposite sames coming together to do to, to become something new. Yeah. And, and, and that, that something new that is made, Jesus says, should not be split apart because God has done something from the opposite. New. And so uh, I think it does speak to the significance of the difference in gender, uh, the, the inherent worth and dignity of both genders and the need for both genders, A, in the world, yes. and B, uh, in marriage, that those yes. two things go together. And so, I, I mean, I, and 
we could probably open up a three-part series on this. But that's kind of some of the initial stuff that, that sure. comes to mind. Well, mind. and he, he, in the recapitulation of Genesis 2, the when he says, let me make a corresponding helper, he brings all these animals. Yeah. Almost just to make a point. Like, yeah. there's nothing else yeah. out there yeah. that you will find that represents me that you will be you will find in this corresponding way yes so i'm going to make something still in my image but same different as you yes i think that's a great all the creatures were brought before him but not not one suitable helper could be found amongst all of them and so therefore yeah so what about like the sexuality the gender you know how in our in our day and age right it it, i think we do have to do what jesus did haven't you read haven't you heard but that doesn't really hold a lot of weight you know for for the outside world but for those of us who do allow the text to win over our hearts and our minds. How, how do we allow Genesis 1 and 2 to retrain us, to teach us, or to hold hold us fast to doctrines that are orthodox? I would, I'll even recommend, the way Drew taught us on Sunday was, we need to understand it in the first audience context. And so a lot of the questions that were asked, it's funny how we can make fun of um, some of our questions that we're asking now about science, because that's not what it's talking about. Um, it's, obviously, this is what it's describing. The same thing is true about gender. We're like we're we're creating problems that the original audiences, and I don't think we can just have some kind of chronological snobbery and just dismiss them as archaic or, or or ignorant. Even there is just something inherently important about like function uh-huh. to go back yes. to what you described. Yes. So we're talking about function. So the same problem, and this is what science is designed, like magic is designed, to control the environment. Yeah. But if it is God and it is created with intent, right? You think about all the problems that science, and I don't just mean in a laboratory, but I mean all the things that we try to do, fly in the air, um, build buildings really, 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 really high, uh, move our cities towards the oceans, uh, build cities on fault lines. And then we say, oh, I can't believe the world is going south or all of these. I mean, so literally everything that we do, trying to live as long as we can is is basically about control. And Genesis 1 and 2, as Drew taught us, really kind of teaches us the natural way that we were intended to function. And so I don't know how we cannot recognize and at some level submit to that that there's something very functional mm-hmm. in male and female he created them. Yeah. So it's we're really chasing if you know if you're chasing a rabbit trying to figure out what Darwin thinks about Genesis 1 and 2 then you're chasing a, a, a rabbit at another level when you're trying to answer some of these additional questions that we've manufactured today. Yeah, I think that's really helpful. If you think through Genesis 1 and 2 from that frame from that point of view that it is about God creating design yes. design and order and function bringing things together as they should be and to move away from that is to is to move into chaos uh, it really does I think it explains a lot of yes. what happens when we try to move away from when we try to unravel gender as though it is simply a construct. It's like, no, this is built into the fabric of, yeah. of God's order and design, and to, to try to pull at that thread and pretend like it's not going to unravel a lot of yes. other things yes. is, is, um, is, does not have a lot of foresight. And you know what I mean? Is, is, is an inability to see that God has created this design as a whole, and it is meant to come together as that. And when we try to push back against that, we're pushing back against uh, the beauty and order yes. and design that God has worked into the fabric of, of the world, of creation. Yeah, that design, you talked about it Sunday, shows our purpose, yeah. right? Our, our, 
and those things are intimately related. And if you know your purpose, if you know your design, you'll know how to live. Yes. Right. And so a, a lot of how we live comes back to what we were designed for, what our functions were meant to be. You know, it's interesting. I thought I think I'm thinking a lot about Genesis three. Right. The, who told you? Mm-hmm. Right. That's the question that Lord. Who told you? Yeah. This this lie. And I think that's a good question for us to ask. If Genesis one and two kind of stands. This is who I am. This is who you now are. That a lot of the lies that we have on these issues, it's good to kind of ask that. Who told you, mm-hmm. right? And and is that is actually as is, is that coming from the author of life? Yeah. Or is that coming from maybe somebody that's trying to deceive us? Yeah. That's a that's a good question to ask to when you're going back to Genesis one and two. Yeah. If it is true that like, you know, I I tried to make the point at the end, you know, that like God's glory yeah. fits hand in hand with our joy because as yeah. if I was made to live that out, then as I'm doing that, as I'm living in line with his word and his his character and all those things, then I will find my greatest joy. And when I try to push back against that design or order in my life yeah. and try to go, I don't want that, that's when that's when I begin to unravel. And I think that that's true of our sexuality yes. and our and our gender as well, that like uh, it, to live in, in line with God's design for us is not a burden, is not a, a uh, social expectation that is weighing down on me. It is, it is to live out, it is to live out uh, something that God designed for me in joy, I think. So. Yeah, that's good. Well, we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Um, a couple things we'd say would be good for you to do if you so choose. Um, go back, read Genesis 1 and 2 again. Um, go back and listen to uh, our sermon, Drew's sermon, from uh, from this Sunday. And we invite you to join us and do that the rest of this series. We're going to be going through the story of the Bible and uh, obviously reading through the text itself and then joining us for Sundays and these podcasts. Always we can all equip ourselves well to understand who God is and what his design for the world is. We hope you enjoyed it.